So, Jesse, I don't think it's any surprise that over the last couple of years, people have been kind of stressed out. Yeah, it has really been like a such a stressful time. I feel like it's one of those times where like you have to laugh because you'll cry if you you're don't. like, what else can I do? Yeah, I mean, we've had the pandemic. Uh, we have had uh, racial injustice issues. Uh, we've had a really tense election, political situation. It's just a lot. Yeah. It's just a lot, yeah. a lot, a lot. A lot's been happening. Yeah. And study after study is showing, like, we're all stressed out. Yeah, you're like a, you know, a stats and studies person. Yes. <laughs> what polls are out that are showing just how stressed out we are? Yeah, okay, so there was a Gallup poll from 2020, and it looked at people's self-reported feelings of well-being. Mm-hmm. And in 2020 people's feelings of well-being reached the lowest numbers we've seen since 2008, which is when we had the Great Recession. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. People are feeling pretty down. Yeah. And, you know, we're holistic beings. So, like, what's going on with us emotionally affects us psychologically. It affects us spiritually. It impacts our home life. It impacts our work. You know, it's impacting everything. Yeah. So it's interesting that you brought up work specifically because there's all these other kind of studies that are showing that work specifically is really being affected right now. So Indeed.com, which is the job posting website, they conducted a survey. And here's what they found out, that in January of 2020, which was right before COVID hit the United States, the number of employees who reported feelings of burnout was 43 percent. But in 2021, that number jumped up to 52 percent. Yeah, so you got like 9% increase. So instead of four out of five people really feeling burnt out, you got five out of five people. Yeah. Half your employees are now feeling burnt out. Over the span of a year. Yeah, yeah, well, with good reason. Yeah. I think this might be a good time for us to revisit an old episode that we did on the topic of burnout. Yeah. To helpfully help folks navigate margins and rest in this crazy time that we're living in. Yeah, I think that's a good idea too. So yeah, that episode on burnout... We aired that back in summer of 2018. And, you know, the landscape has just changed since then. So I think what might be helpful is to go back and listen to the original episode and then kind of do an update on burnout kind of pertaining to today's context. Okay, sounds good. Uh, Is Lachlan going to join us? No. Yeah. So Lachlan was in that original episode with you, but... (laughs) He's actually in Colorado right now. yeah, yeah. Uh, So you're stuck with me. Okay, well, here it is, where the gospel meets burnout. Amanda's a sophomore in college, and like many of us, when you ask her how she's doing, she is busy. My schedule is color-coded, and this semester it looks like a rainbow puked up on the pages. So I asked her to tell me what she had going on in her life that's making her so busy. Currently, I am taking an 18-credit semester, which is one credit over the max allowed. And then I'm also in the Taylor Ringers, which is a handball choir. I'm on the leadership programs cabinet. Oh, and then I also do karate. And then I work several just random part-time jobs. So I am an academic coach for another student. I work sometimes for one of the professors. I worked security at a concert this past weekend. Whoa. That is a lot of stuff that Amanda's doing, and I don't want to be Debbie Downer here or anything, but I'll be honest with you, Jesse. I'm a little disappointed in Amanda. (laughs) Why are you disappointed in Amanda? She's listing a lot of things, but I don't hear anything about orphans in there. 
and I haven't done all the math here. It's still, I've got to work through it. But I can see about 20 or 30 minutes available in the schedule here that I think, I'm just saying Amanda should consider the orphans and maybe bring an orphan to the handbell choir, kill two birds with one bell. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) You would be the worst life coach ever. You're listening to the Love That Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lachlan Coffey. Every episode, we hear stories of social justice and Christian community. Today's episode is where the gospel meets burnout. And before you think, great, not another person to tell me I'm too busy and make me feel guilty, that's not what this is about. This is about the very real consequences of an unchecked life, about what happens when we just keep on pushing the boundaries of what we're capable of. We're going to hear one pastor's personal story with burnout and about the very real consequences of our relationships in life. Welcome to our corner of the urban universe. So at the end of 2016, Harvard conducted a study to answer the following question. Why are Americans so impressed by busyness? And I can imagine that they saw strong results because in America, we wear busyness as almost like a badge of honor, right? Where it's the more I'm seen as busy, the more important I should be perceived. Which was basically the findings of Harvard's study. In other parts of the world, busyness is associated with lower status. But here in the U.S., it's a symbol of wealth and power. Yeah, which makes sense with how society operates because we emphasize social mobility. Like we tell ourselves that if you want to achieve the American dream, then it's just a matter of working hard. Yeah, and then we bring all of those values straight into our faith. And while we would never say it out loud, we think that the more that we do for God, the more important of a Christian that we'll be. But God's approach to work is just very different from ours. So Psalm 127 verse 2 says this, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Now, of course, we should say this. God calls us to work. I mean, he wants us to participate in what he's doing. And he talks about, you know, in Scripture, hand to the plow and that sort of language in Scripture. So he's obviously calling us to work. Yeah, but God delights not in just giving us more work to do, but he also delights in giving us rest. But often we feel like we should be doing more. I mean, at least that's what Pastor Jameis Edwards thought. There were so many responsibilities, whether it's another sermon to preach, whether that's another a uh, lecture to give, another class to teach. So Jameis is a pastor in Owensboro, Kentucky, which is about a two-hour drive from Louisville. And in Owensboro, Jameis, his family, his church, they were all doing really well. But of course, they were also very busy. I just found myself really constantly needing to be available to people. Everything that Jameis is describing, it's pretty normal. I mean, it's normal to have too many things to do and too little time to do it in. But then on top of that, Jameis actually decides that he's going to go and get his Ph.D. I decided to go back to school to do a Ph.D., something that I had been thinking about, praying about for several years. And I felt like that the time was right. So all at one time, I'm full time pastor, full time father, full time husband. And now I'm a full time Ph.D. student. Jesse, prediction. I see a full time mental breakdown heading Jameis's way. 
Well, yeah, and that was Jameis's fear. And so he really wanted to make sure that he was going to protect his family. The one thing I went into the PhD program saying was, I'm not going to let this kill my family. I'm just not going to do it. Um, I'm not going to be that guy that sacrifices my family for the next four years just so I can get a degree. So when Jameson rolls back in seminary for his PhD, he decides to structure his days like this. What I did was I broke my day down into three distinct sections. So, you know, you're eight to five, if you will. I was at the church. I mean, that's what I did. I'm preparing to preach sermons. I'm leading. I'm serving. I'm counseling. And then when I get home from five till, let's call it nine o'clock, that's family time. And during that time, I didn't do anything church related and I didn't do anything seminary related. I made it my goal that my young children still at that point wouldn't even know that I was a PhD student. From five to nine, I ate dinner with my family. They had me. I was all in. And then when the kids went to bed, Jameis went to school. And so, you know, that might start at, say, 10 p.m., 9.30 p.m., and I'm, you know, reading books and writing papers and, and researching, and just until I could, couldn't go anymore through the night. You know, sometimes if I close shop at midnight, it might be 2 or 3 a.m. What James is doing sounds absolutely like a miserable experience. Yeah, but like you went through this recently. I mean, you would go to work all day long, and then you came home, you guys did this huge renovation on your house. So you're working all day long, working your eight or nine hour job that includes travel. And then every spare moment of your free time, you were working on your house. Yeah. And why? For the good. We're at at the core, just like James here. He's doing it for the good. Like I was doing all that to support my family, love my family, make our lives good. But it is at the cost of being miserable. I had in my mind, I can do this. You know, my family is not going to suffer. My church is not going to suffer but I'm going to suffer, and that's okay. So after an entire year of living like this, church 8 to 5, family 5 to 9, school 9.30 to whenever, Jameis started acting not like his usual self anymore. I had begun to just grow irritable, for sure, at home. I'd I'd become short-tempered. When I would finally lay down to sleep, I wasn't sleeping that well. My anxiety level by that point was just through the roof. I remember one day after uh, a PhD seminar and uh, I went out to the parking lot and I just sat in my car and I couldn't even like start the ignition. I, I was just paralyzed in anxiety at the prospect of writing a dissertation, which of course is the climax of the PhD and it's 2000 hours of research and just the prospect of doing that in an already chaotic life. I just, I've never had like a panic attack before, but I I think that's probably what that was. So not only that, he'd also started to become just kind of apathetic to his role at his church. And it's not like Jameis never thought, okay, maybe I need to rest some. It's just that he couldn't. I mean, I knew all the right answers. I mean, I know you're supposed to rest, and I know I was supposed to sleep more, and I know you're supposed to have days off. I knew all of the right answers, but I, I, I wouldn't do it for myself. And the reason is, like, I don't have time to rest. I can't. Like, I, there's, there's a dissertation that has to be written. There's sermons that have to be preached. There's souls that have to be saved. You know, there's, there's people that have to be fed. My, my kids have to be cared for and loved. My wife uh, needs my attention. I haven't taken her on a date and Lord knows when. And like, who has time to, to take a day off? I totally get this. 
because he's like in the middle of this basic catch 22. You know, he's a guy between a rock and a hard place because on one hand, he's trying to accomplish a lot in a little amount of time. But on the other hand, his well-being is suffering. And so rest is the first thing that gets scratched off the list when you have that amount of activities just to check off. Yeah, totally. And so finally, one night at church, Jameis realized he wasn't just getting drained because he was busy. Something was seriously wrong. Here, here was the defining moment. We were uh, having a family meeting at our church one night. That's kind of our version of a business meeting. We do those quarterly. And um, it was a really difficult meeting that night because um, we were kind of in the final stages of, of church discipline for uh, a man that was a member of our church that I had uh, led to Christ and had baptized him. So at this meeting, one of the other pastors gets up and tells the congregation about the steps that they've taken with this individual who Jameis has really poured into, but this guy just isn't repentant. And anytime a church has to conduct discipline on a member, it's just really emotional and hard. I mean, we just talked about this in our last episode where the gospel meets addiction. But suffice it to say, the church meeting, it was just awful. And you get us here people weeping in the congregation and I'm on the front row on my iPhone playing around on Twitter and I and I wasn't even moved like I and and that's when it just struck me I'm like something is wrong with me everyone in this church is weeping but me this guy is we can't even call him a Christian anymore and I'm on Twitter playing around and I'm the pastor of the church I went to bed that night just thinking, something's not right here. Like, I have I lost my soul? You know, is my soul just in paralysis? This paralysis was actually a symptom of something else. So the next day, Jameis calls some friends in Louisville who are certified counselors, and he drives two hours to go meet with them. And I sat down for a couple of hours and just poured out my heart, you know, everything I've been thinking, my apathy. And I told him, I was like, I don't even know, you know, if I want to do this anymore. And you know, like, I don't even know what I'm doing here. And, and they they looked at me and said, Jameis, you are burned out. They said, in our experience over 30 years of counseling ministry, where you are now is you are at a point where you can't go any further as things are or you won't survive. Coming up, what to do when you're burnt out. We'll be right back. Hi, listeners. It's Anna, media editor. Here at Love Thy Neighborhood, we partner directly with local nonprofits right here in Louisville. Over the past seven years, our interns have provided over 130,000 work hours free of charge to local ministries. I'm Kathy Williams. I'm the Career Development Program Director at Scarlet Hope. Scarlet Hope is a nonprofit that seeks to share the hope and love of Jesus with women in the sex industry. They provide counseling, employment opportunities, gospel-centered community, and they also go to the strip clubs to bring home-cooked meals to the women working there. Kathy told me how interns support the work of the ministry. Well, as a, what I would say, a shoestring um, nonprofit, we have a case management intern. We also have a career development program intern, and we also have an outreach intern that assists the um, outreach director in all the things that are outreach. The LTN interns um, are just very, very valuable, really in any aspect of the organization. 
If you're a young adult looking for an internship where social action and Christian community meet, check out our website at lovethyneighborhood.org and apply today. Again, that's lovethyneighborhood.org. You're listening to the Love That Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lachlan Coffey. Today's episode is Where the Gospel Meets Burnout. We're following the story of Jameis, a full-time pastor, father, husband, and PhD student. He's grown irritable, apathetic, and even zoned out through social media at an emotional church meeting. So now he's in Louisville speaking with two counselors, and these men, they're from an organization called Crosspoint Ministry. Crosspoint offers soul care for Christian leaders. We say it that way. Some have said we pastor pastors. This is Jim Cofield, one of the men meeting with Jameis, and Jim has a good understanding of burnout, and it's because he used to be a pastor and he experienced it himself. In fact, on a personal note, I remember telling my wife while we were walking up the sidewalk to the church where I was pastoring, saying, I feel like I'm just putting in time, just putting in time. Just, I I was done with ministry. This is a drain not an infusion of life in any way. So when Jim experienced burnout, he reached out to Crosspoint, and it so profoundly changed his life that Jim actually now works for them. And that's why I have a passion for what I do now. That's why we have a heart for ministry leaders, because oftentimes they feel like, rightly or wrongly, but they feel like they can't talk. They can't be vulnerable. They feel their job's at stake, and sometimes it is. That was my case as well. I just, I just felt like my elders are my employers, and so how much can you disclose and still keep your job? That puts you in a bind, that's for sure. And so all that to say is that Jim gets it. Uh, he's really sympathetic towards folks and their need to take care of themselves. And so when Jim met with Jameis and told him, Jameis, you are experiencing burnout, Jim knew firsthand just how serious it was. All right, Jesse, just for a moment here, can you give me a good definition of burnout? Because I feel like that's a phrase that is just thrown up in society. And, I, you know, I use it for like, you know, there was a time I used to eat Taco Bell every day and I got burnout on it. I don't think that's what we're talking about here, right? Well, according to Jim, it actually goes a lot deeper than just not wanting Taco Bell anymore. I would describe burnout as just experientially. It's just um, kind of an, it can be a physical exhaustion, certainly a mental or spiritual exhaustion. And then there's apathy, not energy, and not interest in either my vocation or even even life. And that, that becomes very serious then. So it can be a little tricky here to parse out the difference between being burnt out and being depressed. But in broad strokes, you know, depression oftentimes carries with it a lack of desire for almost anything. But being burnt out carries with it a desire to escape. So people may daydream about other careers or vacations or things that they want to do. So the desires might still be there. It's just that the desires are not connected at all to the life that they're actually living. Uh, I told my wife, Annie, one day, uh, I said, I don't want to be a pastor anymore. I'm, I'm quitting. I said, I want to I want to be a teacher and I want to coach high school basketball. That's, that's what I'm going to do. And so one obvious way to deal with burnout is to just stop working. And so Jim and his colleague tell Jameis that in order to recover, he needs to take a three-month sabbatical, effective immediately, which Jameis thought was just completely unnecessary. 
Well, I, I spent the next 30 minutes telling them uh, how ridiculous their conclusion was. And, and I told them all the reasons, you know, being a Baptist preacher, I probably gave them three points in a poem as to why I didn't need a sabbatical and as to why I couldn't do that. The church needs me. What are the people in my congregation going to think? You know, I mean, they've called me to be their pastor. They don't get to take a, a sabbatical. I mean, we've got hardworking men and women in our church who work 60, 70, some of them 80-hour weeks. They don't get to take a break. It's not fair. Yeah, and I totally get where James is coming from in this because I've been at churches where the pastor takes off three months, and I'm like, dude, you have, like, the easiest job in the world. You basically live at Starbucks. You read all the books you, you want to read. You take people out to lunch. You go see movies. Freedom to take a nap anytime, any day. Like, you're taking a break from that. But what a lot of people don't see is they don't see that really the sermons or hanging out at Starbucks, those are actually the small portions of most pastors' jobs. Pastors are caring for the very delicate internal worlds of people. I mean, they're taking care of people's souls. When my mom died, guess who I called? I called the pastor. And I, my expectation is that the pastor is going to show up and they're going to walk with me through that, regardless of whether the pastor knows how to walk me through that or not. They're supposed to be there when a kid is born, when somebody dies. They're supposed to officiate a wedding. They're supposed to walk through all of the biggest seasons of life with all of us. And somehow they're supposed to do it competently. So here's Jim again. The CPA, the plumber, the person working on in the factory on the line, they can still theoretically do their job if they just kind of muscle up and just hang in there. It's pretty hard to be labeled as one who cares for the souls of others when you just have nothing left to give. But your job isn't the only thing at stake, and it's not the most important thing either. Even though it can be a vocational risk, I can be let go from a job because I'm simply not fulfilling it. The real stakes are relational. And so this is actually completely true for Jameis. In fact, in Jameis's family, they had already been feeling the effects of his burnout. So here's his wife, Annie. I think our relationship just felt like sandpaper. <laughs> like, and so we just really weren't connecting as a family. Um, and there just seemed to be a heaviness, uh, stress. And I think my tendency during that time period was to think immediately, well, I'm doing something wrong. I'm, I'm not being a good wife or he thinks I'm being a bad mom. Um, or maybe he doesn't think I'm pretty anymore. He's not into me like something. I mean, these are just kind of the thoughts that were going through my mind, thinking that his mood and what was going on with him was because of something I had done or something the kids had done. Well, Jim and his colleague, they are insistent that Jameis take a break in order to recover. So they actually drive the two hours down to Jameis's church. They meet with the elders and they essentially force Jameis to go on a three-month sabbatical. And so with no other option, Jameis complies. And his wife, Annie, she's actually, she's thrilled. I felt like this sense of relief. <laughs> and then um, I was excited to have that time with him to reconnect as a family Okay, so Lachlan, if you were in Jameis's shoes, what do you think would help you? Like, what would you do for your sabbatical? A hundred percent head to the beach. Well, that is exactly what Jameis and his family did. We just drove to South Florida and we stayed there for you know almost a couple of weeks. And uh, it was awesome. I was just able to breathe again. I think my soul had just forgot what it meant to breathe. 
and to relax. And I was able to do that. And I was like, okay, I can do this. And his wife, Annie, started to think that their family was going to go back to normal again and that the rest of their time off, the next two and a half months of their sabbatical, it was going to be just like this. So I'm thinking, oh, like long walks on the beach. We're going to be playing family games and like telling stories around the campfire. And I thought, hey, this is going to be great. And it it was not. Then after about two weeks, it, it all hit the fan. So I actually see this a lot. In fact, I don't know anyone personally that's in ministry that has taken time off that doesn't actually have significant issues arise about two weeks into their sabbatical because we're just so addicted to doing and going all the time. And it takes those first two weeks to kind of get it out of our system. It's like a detox phase. And after those two weeks, it's like all the stuff that's been buried that all of our busyness has been hiding from us, all of it starts to come out. And it's just hard and it's painful and it's uncomfortable. And so coming home from Florida two weeks into a sabbatical, Jameis found himself left only with himself. And it wasn't exactly pretty. I realized I had an idol in my life, which was productivity. There was a reason that Jameis overcommitted himself. He found identity in the things that he did. He wasn't okay with just being Jameis. He had to be Jameis the pastor, Jameis the father, Jameis the student. And he had to do all those things because he thought that's what made him himself. I, I did not have the ability to say no to people, to work, to productivity, because I had this false view that I was indispensable that the church had to have me, that people had to have me, that the kingdom of God had to have Jameis Edwards. And then when that was all stripped away from me, I had nothing and I fell apart. So actually at that point, plunged into what I really believe is a deep depression. So what was supposed to be this life-giving time off for Jameis ended up becoming some of the darkest points actually of Jameis's life. I have journal entries that I've, I've saved where I was questioning my Christianity. I don't even know if I was a believer in, in the gospel. Whoa, that took a dark turn real quick. I, James is like swimming with dolphins. Next thing you know, he's not a Christian. You're like everything's up for question now. What is going on with this guy? Well, I mean, what happened was that the sabbatical finally gave James space to slow down and reflect. I mean, when we're constantly going and going and going, we aren't able to take inventory of what's going on inside of us. And so now he's just he's having to come to terms with stuff that maybe has been under the surface for a while. He just never slowed down enough to see it. Oh, man, it's such a bummer. He's like on vacation and this does not even sound enjoyable at all. It just sounds like a mess. And not just a mess for him. I mean, our actions don't just affect ourselves when it comes to burnout. The stakes are relational. So while James is working through his own junk as it relates to work and identity, his wife, she's also suffering all the consequences of that. I didn't feel like he he knew me. So I felt like I wasn't known by my husband. Like he saw me, but he didn't really see me. You know what I'm saying? Like we were just passing each other <laughs> from one event to the next. Had I had a lot of bitterness from that. And so, you know, when there's bitterness, you pull away. And so it wasn't actually just his wife, Annie, that was suffering. Jameis's kids were suffering, too. 
they would always notice if daddy was not right or if mommy was upset. I remember we were on a trip to a cabin and we got there and we were really excited. And then Jameis and I, we said something to each other, just like one little thing and it exploded into this like huge argument. And we ended up leaving the cabin, not staying there for the week. And the kids, I remember them crying in the car on the way home, and I'll never forget it. Our um, daughter said, I just feel like Satan's in this car. That really brought me to tears because thats it just felt like darkness, and I, they felt it too. So sometimes we find ourselves burnt out because we've worked too hard. But the irony was that actually for Jameis to heal, he actually needed to work some more. He didn't need to do external physical work. He actually needed to do some internal work. Stay with us. Here at LTN, we're all about helping people build better relationships. And we've actually created a brand new way to do that with our Say More conversation cards. Say More is a deck of 100 questions to kickstart engaging discussions. So there's silly things like, which famous cartoon character are you most like? And there's also serious things like, what has been your hardest goodbye in life? You can use our Say More cards with your family, your friends, on a date, at the office. My family and I have been using them at the dinner table, and I've learned things about my kids that I truly never knew before. To grab your own deck of Say More cards, Go to lovethyneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu. And while you're there, grab a couple more decks. They make great gifts for Christmas or birthdays, and all proceeds go directly to support Love Thy Neighborhood. So go to lovethyneighborhood.org and click store and get ready to say more because better relationships are just a question away. Welcome back to the Love That Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lachlan Coffey. Today's episode is where the gospel meets burnout. Okay, Jesse, so I get it. Jameis is burnout. He's on the sabbatical. Things are not going well. How is this guy going to recover? Is he going to recover? Please tell me he does. Well, there's two important things when it comes to recovering from burnout. So first, it takes community. Here's Jim from Crosspoint again. You can't, you cannot do this work alone. So find someone that can help you. And if you have a spouse, hopefully your spouse can, but don't put that load entirely on a spouse. That's an awful lot for a spouse to bear. So get a coach, get get a spiritual director, get, get a pastor, someone that can walk, or a good friend who's experienced, maybe down the road ahead of you in life, maybe has been through this, that can just help you and listen to you and encourage you and, and tell you what to stop, maybe. So for the remainder of his sabbatical, Jameis met regularly with Jim and did the hard work of heart work. They worked through his addiction to productivity. They worked through his depression. But Jim also says you don't just need someone to mentor you. You also need peers who are just in the trenches with you. And the folks at Jameis's church, they got in the trenches with Jameis and his family. So here's his wife, Annie, again. So some of my friends um, were just really good to kind of be intentional. A particular friend of mine will come over and she texts me and she says, listen, I know I'm going to ring this doorbell and you're going to hide in your house somewhere, 
but I'm not leaving until you open the door. So, you know, she just would come and pray with me, um, sit with me, kind of just let me word vomit on her. I think one time she brought us a an apple pie and a bag of grapes. Like she was just, she just was trying to bring something just to like give encouragement. So the first thing you need to recover from burnout is community. And the second thing that you need is just time. I think it was just such a process and it was so slow. Like the change was so slow that I can't even pinpoint like a, oh, this was such a huge difference. It just, it just happened. So fast forward through time. And at the end of his three month sabbatical, Jameis finally returns to his church. And Jameis, by that point, he was okay. And he was actually even okay with not being needed all the time. I came back and realized they didn't actually need me at all. You know, I mean, the, the gospel continued to go forward and the church was strong and healthy and the church did not miss a beat and the kingdom of God did not miss a beat and the word of God did not miss a beat and the gospel didn't miss a beat without Jameis Edwards. And that was the most uh, difficult thing for me to realize when I came back, like, oh, the church is great. Um, nobody left, you know, <laughs> like that. I've, uh, they don't have to have me. Jesus doesn't have to have me. And so the other thing that was really cool is not only were things better with his church, but things were actually a whole lot better with his family too. So he planned this date where we went horseback riding and it was hilarious because he got this horse that was like divergent and it uh, it went off into the cornfield and it like the corn kept smacking Jameis in the face and he was like trying to get it all on video and his phone fell in the cornfields and he's just fun to be around and I think we're enjoying life more. So something interesting happened during our reporting. So we thought that everyone would just spend a lot of their time talking about all of their activities that they have to do and about how they need to pull back on work. But one of the things that kept kind of popping up was actually the technology was actually one of the things that was making their burnout speed up and become worse. So remember earlier, there was a scene where there's this emotional church meeting and Jameis is in the meeting and he's like sitting there on his phone. But now coming through the other side of this burnout, he said he's got this really dynamically different relationship with technology. And I don't do this every day. But I'm, I'm trying to do it most days is when I get home from work, I turn my phone off. And sometimes I'll, I'll make like a public service announcement to Annie and the kids. Kids, mom, look at this. I'm turning the phone off. You see? Off. That in and of itself is a life changer. And I'm happier. I'm more enjoyable to be around. There is a direct connection, at least for me, okay, between my level of joy in life and my time on social media. Okay, so we wanted to figure out if there were any stats out there on this. Okay, so there was a study of incoming freshmen at UCLA, and they were asked this question, do you feel overwhelmed by all that you have to do? So Lachlan, in 1985, what percentage do you think said yes? In 1985? Yeah. I think it was pretty low, because 1985 was the jam. Got slap bracelets, tight roll jeans, MacGyver, nothing to be stressed out about, right? Yeah, it was small. 18%. Okay, so by 2010, what do you think that that climbed to? I think it got bumped up. A little bit more stressful, a little bit busier. That's my guess. 
Yeah, it jumps all the way up to 29%. Okay, so 1985, it was 18%. 2010, it was 29%. Two years ago, it jumps all the way up to 41%. Wow. Do you know what one of the common causes was for that jump? Social media. Oh, really? Yeah. Social media was one of the number one things cited that has caused people to live in a constant state of feeling overwhelmed. I guess it makes sense because we see on social media, that's where you personify your best is on Facebook and Snapchat or wherever you put out there into the universe. This is my day. This is what I eat. This is what I look like. This is my family laughing, giggling. Well, I don't even think it's just even that. It's so part of it is the image stuff. But part of it, too, is we're not designed to take in that much information. Suddenly, we don't know what things we're really responsible for. Should I care about this? What if I don't like this thing? Should I like this? Should I respond to this? Should I post this? And we feel all of this anxiety and conflict. I mean, right now, even as we record this, who knows how many times your phone and my phone has gone off even while we've sat here and we've had to ignore it in order just to even be present in the moment. We're just too accessible to everything. Okay, so remember Amanda, the sophomore in college that we heard from at the very beginning of the episode? Yeah, the one with the 18-credit semester and bell choir and crazy schedule. That Amanda? Yeah, so when I talked to her about her burnout, she also brought up, all on her own, the influence of social media. I think millennials as a whole, we all feel like we need to change the world in some way and make an impact. Even earlier this week, I watched a movie about the Rwandan genocide. And just realizing, yes, I want to go into social work and work in child welfare and try to, like, change the foster care system is my goal. But at the same time, is that enough? Like, should I be doing more? Like, how can I be saving more people's lives and impacting more people? And so I think by putting that pressure on ourselves and with social media and seeing where other people are at, we're kind of, like, even in more of this competition of do more, do more, do more, do more, and less of a stop and rest Yeah, so all of this inclination of Amanda's to add more and more to her schedule because she always feels like she needs to be doing more. Eventually, it got bad enough that recently some of Amanda's friends actually confronted her about her constant busyness. It was 12.30 at night. I was already late for bed, and my friends decided, Amanda, listen, we we need to talk about your busy schedule. We're going to have a little intervention here. And so they're like, we feel like you're so much happier when you're not super crazy booked. Like, we want you to be happy like that you should probably consider cutting stuff out of your schedule. My response to that was, one, finding it ironic that we're having the intervention talk at 1230 at night when I'm already late for bed. <laughs> but also seeing that they're, like, they were coming from a place of like love and concern, and so I appreciated that. Yeah, and for Amanda, rest doesn't look like taking a three-month sabbatical, but it can look like taking one day a week where she's not obligated to anything. I think that's what I need like this semester is just take like a full day, like Sunday or something. And just have that completely free. And also doing things like going for walks and just being filled by just nothing going on. (laughs) Yeah. And of course, what is Amanda describing? She's describing the Sabbath. I mean, she's describing the very thing that from the onset of creation, God has always told us that we needed. We need time of rest. Everyone's going to have an outlet for stress. And the, the idea here is you either make it really bad, which that's your default is going to be negative, some kind of negative outlet. But you want to transition. And if you can be proactive on the front end and figure out what makes you tick, what are the passions, what excites you. I love music. I I don't play a lick of it, but I love seeing music, hearing music, going to shows. And if I can make sure that that's a priority in my life, then I'm very likely, not in all cases, but very likely to avoid the bad outlets of stress. 
And so, in fact, I actually ended up asking Jim what it would look like not just to recover from burnout after it's already happened, but to try to avoid it in the first place altogether. And so here's what he had to say. I don't just have a body. I am a body. So I have to honor the limits of my body, which then goes to my scheduling. How hard am I pushing it? Just being honest about that. Because what I'd like to do is good. I'm really trying to help. But I, I can't do it all. And, and our model for that is Jesus. I've often said, what would it have been like to be the next leper in line? And Jesus says, that's all. And he goes away. And he goes away to pray. And I'm still a leper. And yet at the end, he says, I have finished the work that you gave me to do, Father. That requires a really vibrant, communal life with the living Lord. So imagine a seesaw, and on one end of the seesaw is engagement, the idea of interacting with people, of doing things, of being productive, proactive, taking initiative. But then on the other end of the seesaw is retreat. And in retreat, it's about reflection, it's about space, it's about solitude, it's about silence. We tend as people to sit pretty hard on one end of the seesaw or the other. But in Christ, we see this perfect balance of those two things. I mean, the whole reason that he was able to know who to give his time to, who to love, which things to prioritize, all of that was fed from his ability to retreat. I mean, how often in scriptures do we see him pulling away from the crowds and going off to be alone right at the moment that we think he needs to be stepping up his game? The one person in the history of the world who should have had a God complex did not have a God complex. I just think our our identity is wrongly wrapped up in our performance and productivity. And I think we've, we've got this false gospel that we've preached to us that the more we do for Jesus, the more Jesus loves us. When the truth of the gospel is Jesus has done everything that needs to be done. Jesus doesn't love me any less if I do nothing tomorrow but enjoy him and enjoy my family. He doesn't love me any less than if I would have led 27 people to faith in Christ that day. That's what the gospel has done for us. Okay, Jesse, so you and I were back here in the studio, and that's where the original episode ended. So I kind of want to know what happened to Jameis. You know, he struggled with being healthy. He went through this, like, incredible period of transformation, tried to become healthier. Only then, you know, last year, like the rest of us, to get smacked in the face with everything that happened in the world. So, like, where is he now? Like, has he been able to maintain his health? Yeah, that's a good question. So I reconnected with Jameis to kind of see what life looks like for him now. A bit has changed by God's kindness. I did graduate from school once and for all. (laughs) So I finished my PhD and I am super happy for that. Oh, sweet. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Because, you know, that was like not a small part of his stress was due to trying to pursue his education. Right. Uh, That has to feel really good. Yeah. Yeah. So besides, you know, not being under the weight of writing a dissertation now, Life looks pretty much the same for Jameis now as it did back then. You know, he's still a full-time pastor at his church in Owensboro, Kentucky. The one small change is that now that his PhD is finished, now he's teaching some leadership and religion classes at a few different schools 
including he's doing some work uh, here at Southern Seminary in Louisville. Yeah, still pastoring full time. That's not my primary calling and uh, loving my wife and children. But on the side, I'm really enjoying teaching as well. So he sounds pretty healthy. Yeah, yeah, he does. So I asked him specifically, you know, about burnout and like the rates we've been seeing from the pandemic and if he felt impacted by that at all and how he himself was taking everything. And it was interesting because the answer that he gave me wasn't what I was expecting. So I think the potential for burnout now, um, maybe it's less on physical exertion and, and simply not slowing down to take Sabbath or vacation time. Certainly those things are always important, but I don't, for me, it's not been not doing that. It's a different kind of fatigue. It's plaguing our souls. So what is he getting at? Like, what is it then? Yeah, so Jameis is saying that for him and actually for other pastors that he's talked with, burnout has taken on this new form, you know, whereas before it was all about overcommitting and pushing and not taking breaks. Now, Jameis is saying the stress and the fatigue is coming from places other than simply just going, going, going all the time. And he actually cited a couple things in particular that are contributing to this new kind of burnout. The pandemic and this division, I think, in our country and the division in the church, unfortunately, which really, I think, in many ways, comes back to the, the politicization of everything. I think it's just created a new kind of fatigue and a new place of vulnerability for burnout. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I feel that. So I actually contacted Jim Cofield, who we also heard from in the episode. Oh, yeah. And like Jim's job is that he talks with pastors like all over the country, supporting them, coaching them. Yeah, like he's taking the pulse on pastors really well. So what did he say? Yeah, so he verified exactly what Jameis is describing here. So Jim told me via email that he's noticed a trend of three big issues contributing to exhaustion in pastors. Oh, what are the three things? So COVID, including things like differences concerning masks and vaccination. And then politics, of course, uh, mostly things around, you know, Jesus and his kingdom being tied to certain political powers or political parties. And then the final thing is race with, you know, pastors or churches either being accused of being soft on discrimination or being accused of advocating things like critical race theory. So, for example, just talking about the church context for a minute, pastors we have people leaving our churches because on one hand, we have required masks, perhaps, or we've been accused of taking COVID too seriously. But on the other hand, you have people leaving the church because we kept the doors open and we didn't take the pandemic seriously enough. We have people that will be incredibly critical and, and perhaps leave our churches because we've been too outspoken about racial justice and others will leave because we haven't said enough about racial justice. And so I would say for me in 20 years of ministry, there's never been a time in which you feel like on a almost a daily basis, you are literally darned if you don't, danged if you do. Oh, I just feel for him so bad. I don't know that I've talked to a single pastor, you know, in the past year that on some level hasn't been struggling. And of course, for some, it's worse than others, right? For various reasons, depending on their context and things. But um, I think every pastor or, or, or leader in general, leader of, of, of anything for that matter, is feeling this same pressure. Gosh, it like reminds me of like 
a barbaric torture device, you know, where there's like a person and each of their arms, each of their legs is tied by rope to four different horses. And then the horses all travel in like different directions until eventually the person is torn apart and they die. Like, it just feels like pastors are just being torn in every single direction. Yeah. So I I asked Jameis specifically, you know, for you, how is this pressure kind of playing out in your life? And here's what he had to say. It's often lying in bed at night, feeling like a failure or feeling like you're everybody's enemy, you know, feeling like the world is mad at me and I'm just trying to do my best to honor God and love other people. And so I think the fatigue is not so much physical, it's just mental and spiritual. There's this constant track playing in your mind that I can't measure up. I can't do this. There, No matter how good of a sermon I preach or no matter how clear of a statement we make on our social media page about our view on this particular issue, you're, you're someone, some group, they're always still going to be upset. So it's just exhausting um, trying to appease uh, an unappeasable people. But here's the other thing that's interesting is that Jameis doesn't put all the blame for this fatigue and the stress on other people because he also knows that he has issues of his own in the midst of these things too. I think much of our inability, or at least for me, the inability to rest and to just be at peace with, with God and others, it's, it's rooted in our need for the approval of man. And as long as we're trying to please everyone, we're just going to be mentally exhausted. So we, we will never rest. We will never have peace it's an absolute impossibility we put on ourselves to try to keep everybody happy. So in the episode when Jameis was dealing with burnout, he needed some time away. He needed physical rest in order to recover. But since this is now a different type of exhaustion, that means for Jameis, his approach for healing also looks different. My rest, therefore, doesn't necessarily look like a nap in this season, right? Although those are helpful, rest doesn't simply look like taking a vacation, although that's necessary. Rest now, for me, not trying to over-spiritualize, it's just I just need to believe the gospel that I am accepted by God in Jesus Christ. And as long as I have God's acceptance, I don't have to have the acceptance of everyone else. If God be for me, who can be against me? So, So rest for me just looks like trusting in the goodness of God. So that means, you know, in a culture with so much division, so much polarization, so much information, so many opinions, Jameis just tries to ground himself in the love and acceptance of God as much as he can. For example, this morning, and so I've got my Bible and I'm reading, and uh, I just didn't feel very loved by God early this morning. You know, yesterday, I felt like I was kind of a jerk to my family a few times. Just had some sin creeping up in my heart. So this morning, I just woke up feeling kind of condemned. And so I just went to Scripture. Uh, I went to First John chapter 3. I went to John chapter 1. And I just went to passages in God's Word that reminded me simply of the fact that I'm a child of God. And I read over and over how great of a love, and I'm paraphrasing, does God have for us that we would be called his children? You know, okay, that helped me. That gave me grace. And God reminded me, Jameis, I love you. 
you are accepted. You are my child. Even if you struggled yesterday, there is no condemnation for you. So I think just going back to God's word and just letting it uh, remind us every day of who we are in Christ is so important. Ah, that is good because I don't know. You just get to a point where you're like, you're like, I feel like I so frantically look for answers to things sometimes, and I just like, oh, I peel back a layer and I peel back a layer, like, and I'm trying to find the answer to the vaccination question or the answer to all injustice issues or the answer to everything going on politically, and like, there just comes a point where you realize there's no bottom to these layers. It really is like, Jesus, I've got to put my eyes on you because I'm lost. So I have a question for you. So a lot of what's going on, a lot of the exhaustion that we're experiencing, the stress that we're dealing with, like it's situational, like it's tied to the situations of the pandemic, uh, towards justice issues, towards uh, the political climate that we're in. These are not necessarily things that we're going to be able to fix real quick uh, so that we can suddenly reclaim our health. Like we have to learn how to be healthy amidst these things. Mm hmm. So what in the world do we do? Like, how can we be healthy in the middle of all this stuff? Yeah, that's a good question. So I asked Jameis uh, what he thought about that. And, you know, the first one of the first things he said was, of course, you know, take a break from social media, a month, three month thing, whatever it is, a day, a week, man, limit your social media usage. But then also one of the other things that Jameis said is don't keep your struggles to yourself. If you are in a season of unusually high stress or anxiety, perhaps you're experiencing depression, or if you're feeling uh, burnout, I I would just encourage everyone to find somebody that you can talk to and that you can trust, whether they're a certified counselor or not, that you can talk to. Don't hide this stuff. If you're starting to feel things brew up in your heart and your soul, maybe you're questioning your faith, Maybe you're having thoughts that you've never had before. You know, just talk to somebody, find someone you can trust and talk to them. So limit social media usage. Make sure you've got people that you can talk to. And then the other thing we can do strictly from like a church viewpoint is just, man, simply recognize this is a really hard time to be a pastor. You know, a lot of pastors are having to navigate things that they've never had to face before, and frankly, were probably not taught in their seminary classes, right? Yeah. And so rather than having a posture of defense or a posture of accusation towards the leaders in our churches, Jameis says, you know, hey, what would it look like? Just offer some encouragement and some grace. Pray for your pastor or pastors every day and pray for their families if they have families. And then the other thing I would say is, and let them know when you do that, you know, just a text message of encouragement. Hey, I see you I'm praying for you. I know it's a difficult season. That is our lifeline, right? So, I mean, I know that, that people in our lives are praying for Annie and I and our families. I, I know they are. But the thing that means the most to me is when they say, hey, I just want you to know, I pray for your, we get there's five, 10 families in our church, you know, and they'll say, we pray for your family by name every single night. And that I, that means more to me than a, you know, a check for $50,000. Yeah, like we are all 
probably operating on less than 100%. Like we are yeah. all below our capacities. Our capacities are compromised. I think yeah. if we could all just accept that about each other right now. Yeah. You know, we have uncertainty with jobs. We have racial injustice. We have unrest. We have political divisions. We have polarization. Like it has just been a really hard couple of years. Yeah. I think can we all just acknowledge like life has been really terrible lately. Like let's just acknowledge that. Like you said, yeah, we're all compromised right now. And when we're tired, we tend to act like not the best versions of ourselves, right? right? I mean, yeah. we snap, we get irritable, or we check out and we just want to, you know, binge watch Netflix. Like we do things that maybe aren't the healthiest. Yeah. You know, we have all these like false ideas of what's going to make everything better. Like life will be better when and life will be better if and all my you know, discomfort will go away when, and there's no guarantees for those things. Like there's just not. And I think that that's part of the reason why Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. I will give you the things that you need. Bring your burdens to me. And so I think that's the reminder for us, for all of us. Like you're living in this time and in this culture and in a society that's always demanding more from you. Where's Jesus inviting you to rest? And how can you extend that gracious rest to those that are around you. If you've benefited at all from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Your review will help other people discover our show. Special thanks to our interviewees for this episode, Amanda Fleischman, Jameis Edwards, Annie Edwards, and Jim Cofield. Our senior producer and host is Jesse Eubanks. Our co-hosts today were Rachel Zabo and Lachlan Coffey, who told me that his rental car in Colorado is stuck playing a Nickelback CD. I just feel like Satan's in this car. Rachel is also our media director. Anna Tran is our audio engineer. Additional editing by Janelle Dawkins. Music for today's episode comes from Lee Rosevere, Poddington Bear, Blue Dot Sessions, and the Free Harmonic Orchestra. Theme music and commercial music by Murphy DX. Apply for your social action internship supported by Christian Community by visiting lovethyneighborhood.org. Serve for a summer or for an entire year. You'll grow in your life skills and your faith. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Which of these was a neighbor to the man in need? The one who showed mercy. Jesus tells us, go and do likewise. <laughs>